Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody, as we get closer and closer to Christmas Day and to 2020, like we'll never forget. Uh, joining us shortly, General McMaster, H.R. Uh, McMaster, retired U.S. Army lieutenant. He also wrote the best-selling book, Battlegrounds, The Fight to Defend the Free World. Uh, we'll talk to him as well as Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. So we have a lot to discuss. We're also following the breaking news on this uh, the stimulus package that was passed and will the president sign the defense authorization bill. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. You can see uh, as it relates to the stay-at-home that we are likely I think it's pretty self-evident, uh, going to need to extend those original dates. Yeah, that is uh, Governor Gavin Newsom quarantining again. Lockdown lunacy. Are Democrat governors intentionally destroying businesses and the free market? Clearly, Americans are reaching the breaking point with lawsuits from Oregon to New York and protests from coast to coast. Number two, what President Trump and the Trump legal team are willing to do and what we're continuing to do is to fight by every legal and constitutionally appropriate method to make sure that we preserve and protect election integrity. Jenna Ellis fighting for the president. At least one legal fight is left, the electoral fight, and that is January 6th as his beleaguered team tries to take on Pennsylvania voting and 15 lawmakers gather in the Oval Office to plan a January 6th uprising. Is this the right move? Number one. It's not too little too late. It's directly targeted at exactly what the country needs right now. If after the new administration comes in, they want to advocate more, we'll take a look at it based upon conditions in the country at that time. Uh, We'll see. Hopefully it'll be better as the vaccine floods. Senator Mitch McConnell, China virus vaccine floods the country, and even Joe Biden offers words of praise for Operation Warp Speed for some uh, as some cash in on the way as Congress unleashes $900 billion to help us survive, I guess. But there's some things here that is not about survival. This spending bill that includes the COVID-19 package of $900 billion includes $10 million to agenda programs in Pakistan, $26 million for the Kennedy Arts Center. Are you kidding? $193 million for HIV-AIDS workers stationed abroad because they could buy cars. Uh, I'll run through some of the other things. General H.R. McMaster joins us now. His book, Battlegrounds, is excellent. It's called The Fight to Defend the Free World. General, welcome back. Hey, Brian, it's great to be with you. Thanks for having me. General, there's so many different fronts to fight on. I know you're an intellectual as well as a guy that puts on the camouflage. When I thought, saw this huge hack uh, that I understood could, t- could have taken place actually nine months ago and still ongoing, I thought about you. Did you know we were this vulnerable? And what could you tell us about how, uh, what the Russians, if it is the Russians, seem to have gotten? Well, you know, in cyberspace, the attacker has the advantage these days, right? Because if you think about all of our infrastructure, not just our cyber infrastructure, but our physical infrastructure, and now this Internet of Things, when so much is connected to the Internet, the attack surface is huge, right? So 
we have to get better at defending against really four major threats. And this is one of the things I focused on uh, in, in battlegrounds and when I was national security advisor. The first of these threats is espionage, right? That's what we see with this attack, at getting inside our systems and extracting data, right? Russia and China are both very good at this, right? These are uh, the, the, the organizations that do this are called advanced persistent threats. Or you'll hear like APT-10 is associated with China, for example. But then also attacks on, on infrastructure, right? This is, you know, our, our infrastructure, like our financial infrastructure that, you know, Iran attacked like back in 2007. And we know that the Russians and others get inside of our systems so they can hold us hostage to these attacks against transportation infrastructure and even, even healthcare systems and, of course, power infrastructure and so forth. The third is disinformation, right? Russia's probably best at this. This is their cyber-enabled information warfare against us. And then the fourth is criminal, and we hear a lot about the North Koreans and, and, their, and their criminal activities in cyberspace. So, hey, Brian, we've, we've got to get better at defending. We need layered defenses in depth. We can't have these kind of breaches where they get into one company and then it infects such a huge uh, you know, amount of, of servers and systems. We need active defense. We have to be offensive, right? We have to be able to see these threats before they penetrate us. And, and we have to be able to, like, shoot down the arrows as they come in, but you also have to be able to kill the archer, right? And we're, we put in some policy shifts that, that make that make us much more agile in doing that. And so, then, of course, we have to get these threats that are in our systems now. We have to get them off the system. So it's like continuous hygiene. That's going to be tough. And then we need systems that degrade gracefully, right, that you, don't, you can't have catastrophic failures. And, but I'll tell you, with Russia, what we've got to do, I think, is, is impose more costs on them. And this is, you know, cyber costs by – you know, by, by making sure they know, hey, you're not going to get away with this any, anymore. You're gonna, we're we're going to go after your systems if you come after ours. But really outside of cyberspace, too, diplomatically and with sanctions and so forth, and working with others. So it's going to take an, a whole, a, the whole government working together at this, but also increasingly, Brian, as you see, the private sector a, as well. You know, an example of how we do this is what we did to secure the elections, you know, and Chris Krebs you know, before he got fired. I mean, the guy actually did a great job. But you I know, want you to hear, you actually, tell. General McMaster, I want you to hear what Krebs said yesterday because this was his purview. So the way I look at right. it is, yeah, it happened on my watch at CISA, and we missed it. A bunch of other folks missed it. But there is work that we have to do now going forward uh, to, to make sure, A, we get past this, that we get the Russians out of the, the networks. Well, you, be that it never happens again. I, all right. Uh, so I, he must have done a great job. You know, he, uh, he had good reviews, but he did miss it. And that is his job. And in, in the military especially, I mean, how do we hold people accountable? Yeah, hey, well, I think what, you, what we have to do is the first step, which is what he said. Hey, this is a failure, right? We've got to get better at this. And, you know, we haven't had the incentives in place, right? I mean, people think about security, or used to anyway, think about security last, right? It's, if, it's, if it's really how we use the Internet, it's about customer experience, right? You want the best customer experience. Well, hey, you know, we have to start considering – our data like gold, right, and every platform we use, every system we use has to be developed by companies that regard themselves like Fort Knox, right? They're going to protect our data. Because, you know, Brian, we don't even know. We don't even know how they're going to use this data, right? They're extracting it so they can apply, you know, artificial intelligence technologies and so forth to weaponize that data against us. And so all of us, from the way we operate on our home computers to every company in the tech sector, you know, we have to really implement this policy that the Trump administration put in, which I think is dead on, which is, you know, we need we need clean systems. We need a clean path 
uh, with Internet infrastructure. This is why it's important to ban the Chinese company, Huawei, from putting in fifth-generation communications infrastructure. I mean, heck, do you really expect the Chinese to treat us better or any other citizens better than they treat their own people? So, Brian, we're, this, is, this is a fight that will never be over. It is a continuous interaction with very determined and increasingly capable adversaries. So, General, the we know that uh, General Austin is going to be SBA Secretary of Defense, and I see some uh, and a lot of people, Democrats and Republicans, are, are reluctant to waive that six-year rule of when you will wear in uniform until you serve as Secretary of Defense. Uh, they say that Mattis didn't adjust as a full Secretary of Defense, knowing the nuance of the politics, and they think that the Defense Department under President Trump paid a price for that. We know they ended up uh, at odds in the end. But do you believe that that six-year that six-year window should be adhered to? Do you support General Austin as the next Secretary of Defense? You know, I, I do support him, Brian. And the reason is, hey, I think you have to look at everybody as an individual, right? Just because you served in the military like I did, you know, for you know for thirty-four years, that doesn't mean you're you're that doesn't define you as a person, right? Everybody comes with a different set of experience and, and background and character. You know, and and Lloyd Austin is a man of very strong character. You know, what's striking about him, Brian, is he is a selfless servant, right? He's he's not going to come in with his own agenda. He's going to do his best to serve the country, to serve under the Constitution, you know, which he which he did for decades, right? So, you know, I, I think that you know, I would not have a hard and fast rule. I would ask, you know, those who are going to vote on this, look at Lloyd Austin as a person, look at his character, look at his record of service. And, you know, hey, I mean, you, you can do a heck of a lot worse than Lloyd Austin, I'll, t- I'll tell you, Brian. So you, you had that adjustment. What was the hardest adjustment for you when you took the uniform off and served with uh, President Trump? Well, you know, Brian, I stayed on active duty when I was there. And, and you know what? I think that was an advantage. I mean, you know how, like, partisan everything's become. Everybody's at each other's throats. Hey, well, like, in foreign policy, in defense issues, we got to be able to come together on that, like, Hey, you know, who wants North Korea with a nuclear weapon? Who wants Iran to continue their 40-year-long proxy war against us? Who wants Russia to hack our, our systems and, and undermine our confidence in our democratic principles, institutions, and processes? Who wants China, right, to, to gain a dominant position globally uh, by, by, through a, an advanced form of economic warfare against us and, and a sustained campaign of, of espionage and, and this, what I describe in Battlegrounds, this campaign of you know, co-option, coercion, and concealment. You know, we, we got to remember, Brian, you know, when, when we were attacked by jihadist terrorists on 9-11, they didn't attack Republicans or Democrats. They attacked Americans. So I'm hoping, right, I'm hoping that around foreign policy, around defense issues, we can begin to bring our country right. back together, have civil, meaningful discussions about the real challenges we face. You know, because as we've been at each other's throats, you know, the world hasn't gone away. The Russian hack should be a reminder of that. General H.R. McMaster, our guest, his book, Battlegrounds, bestseller, The Fight to Defend the Free World. General, I don't think anyone has to explain to you that it looks like uh, when Democrats come in, the defense budget gets cut. Uh, I heard that General Milley is, uh, is bracing for 3 to 5 percent cuts. This is the wrong time to cut defense. How do you explain that in today's fractured political climate? Well, it's absolutely the wrong time to, 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 you know, to, to do this. And, you know, what I hope is the Biden administration doesn't try to turn the clock back to 2016, right? Because, you know, we are still dealing with a bow wave of deferred military modernization based on the Obama cuts, cuts that occurred to the Department of Defense 
while we're engaged in wars, right? And, and, and the, the operational costs associated with those wars. You know, and, and we haven't been able to, to effectively modernize for a number of reasons. We, we don't do predictable multi-year budgeting. I mean, there's a lot to do in defense that we're behind on. You, you China, Brian, China has engaged in the greatest peacetime military buildup in history. Since the mid-'90s, they have increased their defense budget 800%, and they're becoming more and more aggressive across the Indo-Pacific region and, and beyond. And, you know, what do we want the military force for? We want military force to deter conflict, and we've been successful in doing so with capable and forward position joint forces. This is why we haven't had a great power conflict in over 75 years, and, and we can't take that for granted, you know. And, and, uh, and so this is, this is an insurance policy. Our, our, de- our defense and uh, budget and, and our modernization, the size of our force as well, and the readiness and the quality of our force. How and much? I hope the Biden administration doesn't come in and try to reflexively cut the defense budget. You know, hey, our problem with the federal budget, Brian, as you know, it's not discretionary spending, right? It's, it's, all, uh, it's, it's all the, you know, the, the, uh, you know, the, the mandatory uh, spending in the budget. And so something's got to give there. It's not the defense budget that, that's caused our, our huge problem with the deficit. Oh, I agree with you. Uh, it's pretty clear. But, but obviously nobody wants to make a political move that's going to hurt, uh, you know, hurt their reelection chances. So no one makes a tough move. They just let the, the pie get smaller and smaller on discretionary. General, how long are we going to tolerate uh, Russian presence in Venezuela and through South and Central America? Now we're just we're just accepting this now. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, this is another reason why we have to work together with others to impose costs on Russia for supporting, you know, this, this criminal regime that is causing so much suffering and, and a humanitarian catastrophe in, in, in Venezuela. You know, so, so this is, this is where, you know, you know, the Biden administration is talking a lot about better relationships with European allies. Okay. Well, those relationships have to be more than, you know, a better atmosphere at cocktail parties, right? It has to be about getting something done. And this is where I think Germany with the Nord Stream 2 natural gas project could impose some costs on Russia for propping up this criminal regime, Maduro's regime in, in Venezuela. And I think what we're seeing is, Brian, we, we are in a competition. And I write about this in Battlegrounds. It's a competition between our, our open democratic societies and closed authoritarian systems. Look at how Russia, China, and Iran are cooperating on, on Venezuela. And I would add Cuba. I mean, this is what's keeping Maduro in power, are these autocrats who actually work together to support each other. But you know, and you know better than anybody, that it's not just about Venezuela. It's about Colombia. It's about Honduras. All these vulnerable countries where China could come in with money, Russia with military, and next thing you know, we have our enemy in our, back, in our, in our backyard. Right. And, and what, the, what the China, for example, is doing in, in – in, uh, in South America is, and in Central America is they're, they're building, you know, they're building uh, dependencies, right? So they, you know, they come in and they, they offer these loans on really bad terms and they indebt multiple generations. You know, this is what happened in Ecuador, right? They did this huge dam project, cost billions of dollars. The first time that the, da- the dam was turned on, the, the power generation, it blew out the whole power grid, right? But what, what Ecuador has to do is give all of their oil exports to China at a huge discount, like in perpetuity. So, you know, I, I think that what, what these, these countries are in large measure victims. They're victims of the Chinese and corrupt governments who make these deals with the Chinese. 
We just got to tell the American people what it means to somehow invest in some of those countries for our national security. Uh, Battlegrounds covers it all, the fight to defend the free world. General H.R. McMaster, last question. Can you tell me if you, what would you do? Do you expect the president to veto the defense bill? And do you expect that veto to be overridden? What are the ramifications of it not? Yeah, well, I mean, we, we need the defense bill because, again, you know, so much depends on dependable resourcing. That's when you can make good decisions in the Department of Defense. We're doing a lot of stupid things in the Department of Defense because we don't have predictable budgeting, right? So we're, we're not divesting of older systems that we should be divesting on, which would, which would reduce maintenance costs, for example, as we procure new systems. So it, it's really important to have this predictability. It is actually one of the last examples of bipartisan work is this defense bill. So I hope the president signs it. Um, I, I, I hear, you know, that if he, if he doesn't sign it, it'll probably, it'll probably get overridden. Uh, but, yeah. but um, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll get that done here in, in the last uh, the last few weeks. And, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, Brian, I, I think that we ought to be optimistic. You know, I know we're facing a lot of problems, but, but I think, it, you know, the next year ought to be a time to really restore our confidence gotcha. in who we are, our common identity as Americans, you know, and, and faith in our democratic principles and institutions General and processes. I hope. I hear Hope you. Do that. I like that optimism. General McMaster, thanks so much. Hey, hey, best wishes for Christmas, Hanukkah, the new year. Thanks, Brian, for, being, for the opportunity to be with you. Back in a moment. Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. Precise, personal, powerful. It's America's weather team in the palm of your hands. Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day, every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my (laughs) name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. 
Hey, welcome back, everyone. Shortly, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West will be with us. Just seeing this political poll, kind of interesting. Nancy Pelosi, of course, signed on to the $900 billion package. Remember, she was at $1.8 trillion the Democrat Republicans were willing to give her. And she said it wasn't enough. I wanted $2.4, and I'm not going to sign that. Now she's going to sign a $900 billion package, $500 billion that was already billed out and allocated. She just wasn't spending. Now Politico does a morning consult poll, and they say most Democrats think she should uh, give up the gavel. A majority of voters oppose Pelosi staying on as Speaker. Only 31% of all voters think that Pelosi should be elected as Speaker of the House, re-elected. 56% said that she should not because I don't think she's an effective leader. If nothing gets done and people don't ever speak up and leadership has been around for 30 years with no rotation, don't tell me you're an effective leader. If leadership shouldn't be about you and you holding power. Uh, and I think she's going to have a lot of trouble keeping her seat for another two years. one 408 7669 Colonel West, then some calls. Busy hour. Don't move. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Voters in Georgia, especially the Republicans, obviously, have to be convinced that the Republicans are taking ballot security seriously. uh, Because there's a lot of people there that are still extraordinarily frustrated, and they should be, over how that election was run. So they have a signature match in place right now. They have about 7,800 poll watchers ready to go. That is Ryan's previous user runs things for the RNC and knows the problems and challenges of runoff elections in Georgia. He had a lot of success, did Ryan, and sees problems with people not trusting how the Georgia vote's going to go. Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, chairman of the Republican Party of Texas, senior fellow at the Media Research Center, joins us now. Colonel, so do you believe, because a guy that grew up in Georgia, do you believe there's some distrust now amongst Republicans or whether it's worth it, for, worth their time to go vote? Well, there are concerns about, as uh, Rice Priebus talked, and you just mentioned ballot security. I was just there last week, and one of the things that's very perplexing to me and to many others is the fact that they opened up for new registrations just for the runoff election, when you should have just had uh, a continuation. If you were registered to vote in the general election, that means you were registered to vote for the runoff. You shouldn't open up for new registrations. And if you recall, Andrew Yang even talked about having people move into Georgia for the runoff election, get registered and vote for the runoff. And now it seems that uh, people are able to do that, just register for the runoff. I don't think they're coming from out of state. But then also you have Stacey Abrams, who is under investigation for going outside the state and soliciting uh, votes in the general election. So there are a lot of question marks all over November the 3rd, and people do in Georgia, they do want to see an improvement on ballot security. They don't want to see another video of someone pulling out a suitcase or a box of ballots from underneath the table after a fake, uh, fake, uh, you know, emergency about a, a water pipe being burst. 
And that's, uh, there's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of anecdotal information. There's about 10,000 votes between Republicans and Democrats. That's what the president lost uh, Georgia by. He's very disappointed mm-hmm. in his Republican governor and in the Republican secretary of state. In fact, I think they asked for the secretary of state to resign. He will not. I also understand, according to experts, that Republicans are not benefiting from the brawl between Brian Kemp, the governor, Republican, and the president, Republican. Well, you probably don't want to have that, uh, you know, open you know, feud going on, especially at a time when you have this runoff election. Everyone should be focused on what's best for the nation. And what's best for the nation is for Kelly Leffler and also uh, Senator Perdue to once again be reelected and go back to the United States Senate so Chuck Schumer does not get to change America and change the world like he asserted after he uh, said they take Georgia. Not win Georgia, not do what's best for the people of Georgia, but take Georgia. That's their mentality. So, uh you know this. In Texas, they kept saying it's going to turn blue, it's going to turn blue. You knew there were a lot of new people coming to Texas. You ended up winning by about uh, four or five points to the president. But it's going to be a challenge from here on in. That's one of your uh, charter assignments. So what advice can you give Georgia as they get so many new residents, many of which are younger with a Democratic agenda and outlook? What do you, was your, well, what, I- which, how should Republicans handle that? Well, I think you've got to go one-on-one and and address them, and you've got to talk to them just the same as Elon Musk is moving here from California. Oracle is moving. Charles Schwab is talking about coming down here, and J.P. Morgan Chase with uh, Jamie Dimon is talking about coming to Texas. From Democrat states? Yeah, you got to engage these young people and say, you know, why would you want the policies of a failed state, a, a place where you left? Or why do you think that your business, your corporation, like Toyota North America, moved out of California and came here with their uh, you know, North American headquarters? Why do you think these uh, businesses and corporations, the places where you are employed, are moving and coming here? It's because of our right principles, our right policies, our economic opportunities, our opportunities for growth and prosperity. And so why would you want to repeat the failures of, of someplace else? And so we have got to have a deliberate messaging toward these young people, especially that are moving in from these other uh, these other locales. But also we've got to do better on our college and university campuses to challenge the rhetoric of these uh, leftist Marxist socialist professors on these campuses. The University of Texas at Austin is rated as one of the worst campuses in the United States of America for conservative students. That's the University of Texas. Stunning, but not if you've been to Austin. Well, not if you've been to Austin, but I will tell you this. We just won last week a city council position in the city of Austin. We came within 600 votes of winning a second one. So, And uh, the mayor down there is being asked to step down. That's the same mayor that went to Cabo San Luca and, and told people by Facebook Live that they should stay at home for Thanksgiving when he was down in Mexico. So uh, the hypocrisy is, uh, is starting to get to people. And I think, again, young people should understand why would they want to hang out with control freaks, because that's really what the progressive socialist left is all about. They tell you what you can do, where you can go, what kind of car, what you can eat, everything. They just want to control your life. And I don't think young people want to have that. So what I'm pretty amazed at is Joe Biden tries to assemble his uh, staff, his cabinet. All they're talking about is the race and gender and sexuality and heritage. They're not talking about, you know, how great this man or woman is. Here's an example. This is Tiffany Cross and, uh, and her panel on MSNBC. Listen to this conversation. Cut 31. 
Well, I know this is the first time so far that there has not been an Asian American Pacific Islander with a secretary title, but there have been some cabinet uh, level positions named. Where do you stand on the representation issue when it comes to the Biden cabinet? We need to make sure that this is a cabinet that like every single administration for the past 20 years, has a secretary in the cabinet that is uh, Asian American. So it makes sense that that, uh, that that attorney general would be a black person who models the value as we move past this dependency, this reliance on the carceral state. I will say, as it relates to Latino and Latinas, uh, one, another factor is that we need to see gender. There's diversity within our diversity. And for us, it's going to be very important in the Hispanic community to see a Latina uh, in the right. cabinet. I mean, no one's talking about qualifications, education, pro, you know, all we're talking about is, is what color the skin is. Isn't it amazing? And, and going back to what we were talking about with Georgia and, and Atlanta, especially the neighborhood I grew up in, what Dr. Miles McKean Jr. said that he wanted to see his country uh, look at people based upon the content of their character, not the color of their skin. And so where have we gone? We've gone right back to that. And so you listen to those clips of individuals. It's all about identity politics. It's all about an equality of outcomes. It's all about what you look like or what your genitalia is. Uh, it's not about what's best for this country or making sure we have the best person in the position. And sad to admit, this is even happening in, you know, my United States Army, where now they have a Office of Inclusion and Diversion in the United States Army. The United States Army, the United States military, all of these uh, these these agencies, you know, there's supposed to be about what's best for America, protecting America, abiding by the right. Constitution, not just about this identity politic, but that's the path that we're going down. I think it's a very dangerous path. Let me ask you, I mean, to tell you the truth, in, in my situation, it's not probably not going to happen. I'm Irish and Italian. If they said, well, you know, Brian, you, we got this talk show for you from nine to noon. Uh, you're Irish and we're looking for an Irish person. And then I made the announcement. Uh, I'm proud to be the first Irish person. It was half Italian to host from nine to 12. I'm like, I'm diminishing any type of accomplishment it would feel that I feel I'd get from getting this three-hour time slot. I feel like I'm diminishing the next secretary if I talk about their nationality. Uh, am, I, am I wrong on that? No, you're not wrong. It'd be just the same as when I was campaigning uh, to be the chairman of the Republican Party of Texas. I said that, you know, the Republicans should elect me because I'm black. That's dumb. It would be dumb. It's, it's insulting. About- yeah, it would be totally insulting. I, I mean, it should be about what I can do for the state of Texas, my my conservative principles and values, my belief, my service to the country, my desire to serve right. Texas. It shouldn't be about the uh, the, 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 uh, the the tone of my skin or anything like that. I remember when I was at Northwestern University speaking about the Iranian nuclear agreement, and you can Google it and you can see the clip. But a young lady, first question she asked me was, do you identify as black? That's how stupid. We have become as a as a culture and society that someone would ask a a person such as myself who was born in a blacks only hospital that grew up in the same neighborhood as Dr. Miles McKean Jr. if I identified as black. So, well, how do you feel about Robert E. Lee's statue being taken out of the Capitol? L- let me tell you this, Brian. I grew up in Atlanta, and outside Atlanta is a thing called Stone Mountain. And if you remember Stone Mountain, on the face of it, it has Robert E. Lee, Jefferson Davis, and uh, Thomas Stonewall Jackson's uh, figures carved into it. Uh, No dead Confederate general ever offended me or hurt my feelings. 
That's true. I mean, I understand it. I mean, if, if uh, you know they fought to keep black men enslaved, do you feel differently now? Even though they don't offend you, do you feel as though— I'm not enslaved. Uh, not— I'm not a slave. And and you know what? My dad was born in 1920. My mom was born in 1931 down south. They never complained about Robert E. Lee, Stonewall Jackson. You know what they complained about? If I made a C or a D in a class, then I got my butt handed to me because it was all about the opportunities that this country afforded. And My dad, who served in World War II, told me at the age of 15, there's no greater honor than to wear the uniform of the United States of America. He challenged me to be the first officer in our family. He didn't say anything about Robert E. Lee, Stonewall Jackson, the Confederate States of America, or anything. You know what he really did? He took me around to all those Civil War battlefields, and he taught me about history. And he had taught me about the two sides. And so history is there for, not for us to revise, destroy, or eliminate. It's there for us to learn from. That's why I always looked at it. Um, everyone comes, uh, comes at it from their, their own angle. I don't know how we get out of this whole identity politics thing. Because, number one, if I'm, a, if I'm a, let's say I'm running the RNC or if I'm running your campaign, I'm looking at, okay, I'm looking at the Rio Grande Valley. Who makes up that area? I'm looking at Dallas. Who makes up that area? You know, looking at Houston. What, what are the, if, I'm, if I am a campaign operative, does it start there with where I look at people as Americans? But yet if I want to find out what, what they care about, I look at where they're from and what they do. Are we ever going to get out of where they're from and focus on what they do? Well, I think that's the the most important thing, and that's what President Trump did. President Trump didn't look at people based upon black, white, Hispanic, Asian, whatever. He talked about, you know, what are their dreams and desires. He talked about whether or not you want to be a victor or you want to be a victim. Uh, Ron DeSantis won the gubernatorial race in Florida on one single issue, school choice. Uh, Single black mothers who were Democrats crossed over and voted for him because he said he wouldn't relegate their child to fail schools. So you talk about the policies that include people. You talk about principles. You talk about values. You engage people, small business entrepreneurship, criminal justice reform, all of those different things. Instead of sitting around and looking at how we can segregate ourselves and how we can divide ourselves, which is really the politics of the progressive socialist left. Lastly, yesterday in the Oval Office, 15 lawmakers got together and they decided to support the president on January 6th when the Electoral College certifies the vote. I'm not sure what they could do except for cause havoc. Uh, Chris Christie is a friend of the president, supporters of the president, says he's hurting the country by continuing to fight. Um, Also, you had Geraldo Rivera, a good friend of the president, said the president should admit he lost. What do you think? In 2005, the Democrats did the exact same thing on uh, January the 6th, the day to certify the Electoral College folks. I don't remember anybody saying and condemning the Democrats what they did. That was the Bush versus Gore election. This is not about President Trump, Brian. This is about our constitutional republic. This is about the rule of law. And if we believe that courts can change law, if we believe the secretaries of state can do whatever they want and flying in the face of law, such as not having signature verifications, and we believe that governors can go in and suspend the rule of law because of a pandemic that has a 99.96% recovery rate, then we're losing our country. President Trump, if he wins, he'll be around for another four years. If he loses, he is not going to be around at all. But this is about whether or not our constitutional republic survives and continues on. So if you have states, if you have people that believe they're above the law, that they're above election law, uh, then we have a problem. 
And so that's what January 6th is all about. The elected representatives of the United States of America, as per the Constitution, doing what Article 2, Section mm-hmm. 1 says, and also the 12th Amendment, to say that we have some issues in these several states, and we can vote for this by the Constitution in the House and in the Senate after we debate for two to three hours. Lieutenant Colonel Allen West, fascinating conversation. If I don't talk to you again, have a great Christmas. Thank you so much. Merry Christmas to you, you my, my little Irish friend. I'm not that little. Come on. Uh, I, I am, by the way, half Italian uh, and because the Italian side of my family listens more than the Irish. And Colonel, I'll, I'll, yeah, right. That too. Uh, thanks, Colonel. Talk to you soon. Hey, when, you. when we come back, we open up the phones. 1-866-408-7669. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade show. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everyone. Dave's over in Plattsburgh, New York. Hey, Dave. Yes, Brian. Merry Christmas to you and your family. Back at you. Okay. Uh, General McMaster's uh, was was talking about who who uh, opposes America. There are plenty of Americans that oppose America. Uh, you have a member of the House of Representatives uh, who slept with a Chinese spy. Uh, who's on the uh, Intelligence uh, Committee there in the House and won't resign. You have a Speaker Pelosi who won't remove him from the uh, committee. Uh, You uh, have uh, um, a senator who had a Chinese spy as a driver for 20 years. Yep. Uh, The, uh, you know, it's just, uh, you just go down the list. You look look at our president-elect, he's compromised. Uh, the stuff coming out of Hunter Biden's laptop shows that he's compromised with China. They bought and paid for him years ago. Okay, um, is he going to do the right thing for America? I don't know. Uh, and uh, the way the a number of the Democratic Party are acting, they put themselves and their power grab ahead of the nation, uh, nation's best interest. I hear you, Dave. I know it's frustrating. I, I think they I think some of them think they have our nation's best interest at heart. But when you want to change the curriculum, when you want to change the fundamentals of our economy, when you want to change the view of our country to the in the guise of saying, I want to make it better. I just can't buy into that. And and my my hope is that Republicans realize the key to their success is not going to be the next election. It's going to be getting into education and reaffirming. Not a patriotic education where you're trying to brainwash people. You're just trying to educate them and let them know America is not perfect, but here's the process that got us where we're at today. And then you'll get a sense of pride. But fundamentally, you get a lot of 20-somethings who don't really like the country too much. And when they do, they end up in Charlie Kirk's group or at this event that we're seeing taking place in Florida today. And they end up feeling as though they got to go find other people and seek them out that view the country the way you, we all grew up viewing the country in this positive light and this sense of being lucky that we're here, fortunate uh, to be uh, Americans, understanding why people want to get here. 
Now we walk around apologizing for the country, and it starts at education. I hope the Reince Priebuses of the world, the Ronna McDaniels of the world, understand in the big picture the George Wills of the world, it'll be on education and try to grab it back. These kids come out, and they, they're militant for a green energy, not taking pride as a, the number one energy producer of the world. They're under the sense that the world's going to end soon unless they drive an electric car. Listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Go to BrianKilmeadeShow.com. You can listen anytime, anywhere. Do it. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, FoxNewsPodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening. Coming to you from New York, heard around the country, around the world, this is the Brian Kilmeade Show as we zero in on Christmas and watch the latest news with the vaccines. Today, the Moderna vaccine uh, will be uh, issued again for the second consecutive day. Today, the big news is HHS Secretary um, Azar, as well as uh, Anthony Fauci, will get the Moderna uh, vaccine. Kind of interesting. He was on with us today. And one of the big stories is that we got this Eli Lilly therapeutic that if you get the disease, you take this and there's a 70% chance you will not go to the hospital, but yet doctors are reluctant to do it. They said they want more information on it, want more studied. Really? As opposed to going in and getting on a ventilator? What more studying can you possibly ask for in the middle of a pandemic the Chinese still haven't told us details about? Inexcusable. We discussed that today. Uh, we're going to be on TV twice on two different networks at the same time. We're always on Fox Nation. It's another great reason to get the app, too. We're going to be on on uh, Fox News Channel doing a simulcast. You listen to them. They listen to us. I'll be Sandra Smith and Trace Gallagher. And then we're going to go on with Stuart Varney. Varney and company a half hour after that. So it's going to be fun. A lot going on. And I'm going to be on tonight hosting Laura Ingram's show. Last night I was lucky enough to sit in for Martha McCallum. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. You can see uh, as it relates to the stay at home that we are likely, I think it's pretty self-evident, uh, going to need to extend those original dates. Yeah, really? Great. He's got one move, lockdown, and it's causing backlash. Governor Gavin Newsom, once again, by the way, on quarantine. His chief of staff quit yesterday. The lockdown lunacy, are Democrat governors intentionally destroying business and the free market? Clearly, Americans are reaching the breaking point with lawsuits and protests from coast to coast. We'll discuss. Number two, what President Trump and the Trump legal team are willing to do and what we're continuing to do is to fight by every legal and constitutionally appropriate method to make sure that we preserve and protect election integrity. At what point does it stop, though? Jenna Ellis, Fox News at night, talking about the president's chances while suing Pennsylvania uh, to get a shot at the Supreme Court and throw out mail-in ballots and at the same time having people uh, preparing to show some unrest and unruly behavior on January 6th, which they're constitutionally entitled to do. The president's got at least one legal action take, an electoral fight uh, the Tuesday after New Year's. So we'll see where this goes. The president of the United States not giving up yet. Number one. It's not too little too late. It's directly targeted at exactly what the country needs right now. If after the new administration comes in, they want to advocate more, we'll take a look at it based upon conditions in the country at that time. 
Senator Mitch McConnell talking about the $900 billion coronavirus spending bill. The China virus vaccine floods the country, and even Joe Biden's offers words of praise. So does his team because of warp speed and its success. For some, cash is on the way, about 600 bucks, as Congress unleashes $900 billion. But when you look over the spending bill, it's kind of discouraging because, again, we're in a situation where there's so many programs that need to be funded. There's this pandemic has provided so many challenges for us, let alone the civil unrest that destroyed our cities. And I just got to wonder, why is it the governor, the Republican governors and the the Republican governors are opening up their states? They know there's going to be problems, but they're saying these are the provisions. We're going to enforce them. But we want you to be able to fight for your right to have a business. Hairstylists, go at it. But go adhere by this. If there's going to be a line, people got to be outside. We're going to get some plexiglass between booths when it comes to health clubs. Go try it. But they got to wear masks. They got to, if they're going to, they got to be separate. You're going to have to rope off a treadmill, an elliptical. We're going to have to give space in the freeway area, but go do it. When it comes to Florida and restaurants, go try it. I want you to separate. I want you to have the waiters and waitresses wearing masks. I want your cooks wearing gloves. I want the hostesses wearing masks. I want people separated, but go at it. But it's not the case when it comes to these Democratic cities and states. And that's what explains the unrest. And what bothers me most about the coronavirus bill is the spending on the overall budget. They put 7,000 pages out. They have nine hours to read it. So everyone signed off on it just about, except for Senator Ted Cruz, Senator Rand Paul, Martha McCallum, and Rick Scott. Uh, Martha McCallum. Did I say that? Marsha um, Marsha Blackburn, Marsha McCallum, yes, yeah, she would not have signed off on this either. She does not spend $900 billion of deficit uh, on her overdraft in her checking account. Listen to some of the things they spent it on. $26 million on the Kennedy Center. Again, right? How much money does the Kennedy Center need? Uh, $10 million for gender programs in Pakistan. $300 million for fisheries. $193 million for federal HIV AIDS workers getting cards abroad. $1.5 million for Appropriations Committee of Office of Diversity and Inclusion. Really? The bill mandates new hiring measures to ensure diversity in the intel community. $1.5 million to do something they should have been doing anyway, get the best qualified person? I thought that was key. And funds to investigate the 1908 Springfield race riot. Sounds like a joke, isn't it? And this is a time in which we're already spending on the deficit. We have a $27 trillion deficit. But don't, let, don't worry about it. Nancy Pelosi got a huge loss on this. She could have got $1.8 trillion. She walked away from it. Now she gets $900 billion. $500 billion was already allocated. She just wouldn't spend it. So inexcusable, unacceptable, but it's out there. And thanks to the president, there's going to be a direct payment. Mitch McConnell, cut two. It's not too little too late. It's directly targeted at exactly what the country needs right now. If after the new administration comes in, they want to advocate more, we'll take a look at it based upon conditions in the country at that time. We'll take a look at it, he says. Okay, uh, take a look at it. And I think that they're going to look for a more of an aid package. This should get you through April. And I give total credit to the Joe Manchins of the world and the Senator Lisa Mikowski. They got this whole thing moving on a Zoom call, series of Zoom calls over Thanksgiving. But Nancy Pelosi lost. Don't let anyone kid you. She's got about a nine-seat uh, nine margin 
uh, advantage in the House, and a lot of people think she's a terrible leader, as do I. She's 80 years old. If you care about your party and your country, you hand that baton over. Former uh, Function as an advisor. John Boehner, I'm sure he gets calls on the golf course all the time. Hey, how do I pass this? Do you know this lawmaker? Help me out. But you insist on running it poorly. Steve Scalise, cut five. Right, Jason, and unfortunately we've seen this movie before when she was speaker last time as she's been speaker this time. She loves setting arbitrary deadlines, running up past the deadline, and then just trying to threaten for things that nobody else wants to give. And in fact, we didn't give her a lot of those things that she wanted. You saw and you covered it a little earlier. President Trump offered her a lot more relief and money just months ago. And she walked away from that because, not because she didn't like the deal, because she didn't want President Trump to get credit. I mean, aren't you sick of this? If your kid acted like this, you'd be uh, beside yourself with disappointment and anger. You're hurting the country for your own good because you think it's going to help you politically. It's absolutely terrible. We know about the thousands of restaurants that are out of business. We know how they're uh, they're banding together to fight in New York because the numbers are low. In California, they're suing the governor. They're trying to recall the governor, not because they don't see a danger in the virus, but they see punishment in his actions. Someone who's clueless to the plight of the small business owner, who I think we've lost over uh, over uh, 20,000 restaurants across the country, and we could lose up to 500,000 if some aren't, are unable to open uh, shortly. So this is the problem. These governors and mayors, people are thinking less about their party and more about how ineffective they are as leaders. Nobody worse than Governor Cuomo. His clueless about how ineffective he has been. He blames the federal government when he doesn't, when things go bad with nursing homes and with cases. He blames the mayor of New York City when there are race riots and boarded up buildings. He takes no responsibility. But look at what he says he should get on, on Christmas. Cut 10. There's going to be a time when people turn around and say, why did 57 people die? And why did we have more people die than anywhere else? You don't want to have to answer that question. And the answer can't be because we played politics. So, healthy holiday, and I'm going to have a great one. Santa's going to be very good to me. I can tell. I worked hard this year. Yeah, you're the one who worked hard this year. Uh, the only thing you did is not give yourself a raise. You haven't missed a paycheck. You were about to go celebrate Thanksgiving until you foolishly told, uh, answer the question honestly on a talk radio show. You have not sacrificed anything. In fact, you're still doing fundraisers, selling a pandemic how-to, should be a how-not-to, uh, during a book tour, during a pandemic, during the middle of a second wave. You're in love with the fact that Robert De Niro knows your name uh, and other celebrities seem to like you, but the average American sees through you, and which is why, if you ask me, so many people uh, are not impressed with Governor Cuomo, and he doesn't seem to realize it. Lastly, there's a U.K. strain of this virus that is causing some panic. Europe has shut down all travel because of this U.K. strain. Now, the vaccine that we're giving Europe, I'm sure they're buying it, Moderna, as well as Pfizer, is still defending that strain of the virus. Same with Israel, defending it. And we already have restrictions on U.K. travel. There's a new call to ban that travel, and Governor Cuomo is going over the top to ban it. So let's go into Fox News Channel now. Listen to Trace Gallagher. 
This after demonstrators pushed their way into the state capital in Salem, calling on the governor and lawmakers to reopen the economy. Officers deploying blue smoke to try to disperse the crowd. Joining us now is Brian Kilmeade, co-host of Fox and Friends. Brian, it's always great to see you. Thanks for fitness into your schedule there on Radio Time. I, I wanted this is a, uh, um, a statement from one of the protesters. He said this to the Daily Beast, quoting here, these people are unemployed and their lives are being ruined by this situation and most importantly by a government that seems to have taken totalitarian views. Clearly, this person and a lot of others are fed up. Are the protests the way to vent your frustration, in your opinion, Brian? A couple of things. Number one, we're sharing audiences. I was just talking about this with our audience right now on the radio. Uh, they were told, Trace, January 2nd, they're going to be able to open up their economy again. They were just extended. That was just extended to March 2nd in Oregon. You just left California. In California, they just said, for your own good, we're shutting down your business, preventing you from having breakfast, preventing you from going out to lunch, preventing you from eating outside, and at the same time, destroying businesses along the way. There's protests everywhere. I ask you, what else can they do? The, they had a they had the legislative meeting where they're deciding their future. You show up. I'm not for violence, but I'm for showing up in numbers, especially as legislators can see the faces of those they are shutting down, maybe forever. You know what's different about these riots in Oregon as opposed to Seattle riots? They're not against America. They want to work in America. They want to live the American dream. And I would imagine they were living it until they were stopped by a pandemic from China, but then it they doubled and tripled the pain by terrible leadership by mayors and governors, case in point, in Oregon. Yeah, but you see the protest pictures on the, on the right-hand side of the screen, Brian, and what's happening is that most people who are fed up are not protesting. They're just not following these stay-at-home guidelines. That's why traffic in these states that have stay-at-home orders is back to almost pre-pandemic levels, especially when you mention a state like California where they're in day 16 of the lockdowns and the infections are going up, so it's clearly not working. People are not abiding by these things anymore. Or, Trace... I bring you to Germany. They were doing it right. They're in a lockdown through Christmas. The most disciplined society maybe in the Western world, uh, in Western culture, is Israel. They got hit by two or three waves. Is the Netherlands doing it right? Is Sweden doing it right? Could it be the pandemic has a vote? Could it be that as long as we're human beings, we cannot stay in our living rooms? Could it be that 70% of all infections happen when we get together with our families or extended families? Could it be that right. the vaccine and therapeutics are the only way? There's a certain thing that happens. We cannot stay in a dungeon or in a prison unless we violate the law. You're taking healthy people and you want them to salt away and watch their lives wither away. Mm -hmm. It's not possible. That's what's going to be written about this pandemic. You keep right. your distance, you wear a mask, and sometimes you still get infected because you have to take a deep breath, go to school or go to Costco or yep. go to Target. Yep, and they're making the wrong decisions. The second, second topic, Brian, is Kim Fox, the... Uh, you know, she she's the D.A. in uh, in Cook County, the prosecutor there. She which is Chicago, by the way, she wants to clean the records of even drug dealers who deal cocaine and heroin, saying, quote, if we recognize substance abuse disorder as a health condition, then we must modify our justice system to treat it as such. Criminalizing health is not in the interest of public safety. She's talking about cocaine and heroin dealers. I mean, who knew the Sinaloa cartel w was just having health problems? Great point. It's a case-by-case -case basis. Yes. 
Do we know people that get addicted? Yes. Do we know people that are born with addictive personality? Yes. But do we know other people who say the way for me to make a living is to deal drugs at a dizzying rate and perform and un- become an underclass in society and try to upend city after city after city? Yes. That you cannot make holistic changes like this. Marijuana, I guess we're a few days away from getting, or a few weeks away or years away from having it legalized. They're going to release anybody who's on uh, in jail because of dealing marijuana. I get it. But when heroin and, uh, and meth and other illegal drugs, cocaine, I think it's a case-by-case basis. And it really bothers yep. me that people think that, uh, that criminal reform involves, hey, you have a health problem. Now go out there and go back to your gang. Brian Kelmey, go back to your radio audience. Thank you, sir, for joining us. Merry Christmas to you. We appreciate it. Go get him, Trace. Thanks to you, too, and your audience. 1-866-408-7669. I mean, how long do you expect people to stay in for? I mean, you keep your distance. You go out. You're going to go to traffic. You're going to have to go shopping. Once in a while, you might want to work out, and you don't want to download a Jack LaLanne uh, app. Uh, So we'll see. Uh, we're going to take a short time out, come back and take some phone calls, and then uh, go to Stuart Varney. But we have call, we have Carol Markowitz right after that, New York Post columnist, who talks about these restaurant-killing rules. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everybody. Got a couple of minutes here. It was so nice to go on Fox News Channel. I also put the number up on Twitter first time in a long time. Jerry's all listening on WOKB in Jacksonville. Hey, Jerry. Hey, Brian. How are you, man? Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Lord knows we need a new year. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, better year. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, I agree with you. I, I love that the governor of Sanchez has opened up Florida. But the problem, Brian, is the economy isn't responding the way it did before the pandemic. People are still scared. So you can open up the economy until your face turns blue, but until the customer doesn't come in and spend the money, you're back to square one, and I wanted to get your take on that. Oh, no, I I agree with you, but no one's pretending there's no pandemic. He's saying there's a way to go through it and lessen the pain. So when we do open up, and the vaccine is here, I'm not hoping— I know it's here. We got two. We're going to get three. I'm watching Anthony Fauci about to get the shot. Then I'm going to watch uh, Azar about to get the shot. This is going to help people gain confidence to know the help is on the way. There was explained to me last night when I filled in for Martha. Uh, doctors said, listen, there's so many people here who have the antibodies. And then there's so many more millions more are going to be getting the vaccine. Sooner or later, we're going to kill this. We're going to diminish this to where the cases are going in the other direction. And we're going to go back to restaurants again. And the plexiglass is going to come down. And, and it's just going to happen. So it's going to get better and better and better. But when it's done, New York's starting from zero. Oregon's starting from zero. California's starting by negative 20. Florida's going to be starting for about a 20% and is going to fill in the next 80%. And they're going to have less businesses on respirators and unemployment. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. 
information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I don't think it makes sense at all. What the data now is starting to show us is that shutting down restaurant dining rooms virtually has no impact on reducing the spread. And what it does have is a certain devastating impact on the millions of people in this industry that look to restaurants to provide their livelihood for their families, to put roofs over their head, and at this time of the year to buy Christmas presents for their kids. And so it's having a devastating impact on the people, and yet there's no data to indicate that it's actually helping to reduce the spread. Uh, no kidding. That's Walter Elmer, CEO of Waffle House. Think about this, how these waiters work for 2 or $3 tips. Usually it's second, third jobs, or they do a bunch of shifts, and now they're being denied that where you can easily, you've been to a Waffle House, who easy it is to socially distance if that's your thing. Carol Markowitz knows all about this. She's a columnist for the New York Post. Her latest article, New York's restaurant killing rules make no sense, and it keeps getting worse. Carol, sadly, your story's not just a New York story, but it, it's as bad as it gets in New York right now, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Um, yeah, it, it's extremely bad, and it's happening all over the country. What's different, I think, about New York City is that Governor Cuomo, actually, on the day that he announced that indoor dining was shutting down in New York City, he showed the statistic that only 1.4% of COVID cases were tied to restaurants. And if you look deeper into that number, it's almost entirely staff. It's not because people are going to restaurants and catching it from people at the next table. That's just not happening. And it's not happening according to Cuomo's own statistics. But he closed indoor dining anyway, and it didn't matter. The numbers don't matter. None of the science matters. Nothing matters anymore. We just follow directions. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Michigan has about 2% of the cases. But, Carol, what makes it worse is it makes it worse because 70% of all the infections happen in people's own homes. So I'm not going to, after nine months, you really think I'm going to sit alone anymore? No, I'm going to get together with some people because my restaurant kicked me out at 10 o'clock or I'm not going to go outdoor dining in 11-degree temperatures. So I'll get together indoors and I'm not going to ask your permission. Yeah, absolutely. I think people have had it. I think lockdowns are generally over. I think politicians just need to face it. Um, And it would be so much better if they gave better directions to the people and said, look, if you're going to gather indoors, maybe wear masks, you know, maybe social distance indoors. But to shut down indoor dining and to say to people, just keep staying home, just keep staying home while, you know, we watch politicians all across the country break that and do whatever they want and go see their families and travel and whatever – um, is really galling. And I think Americans have just reached the breaking point where we're tired of this and it's no longer working either. It's just, it's w- w- New York has been one of the more lockdown places. Cuomo himself said that mask compliance is around 98%, yet our cases still keep going up. It's not working. It isn't. And, you know, and we're national, uh, located in New York. A restaurant industry mm-hmm. has lost over 17,000 jobs just in November. 110,000 restaurants have closed permanently uh, across the country. More than 2.1 million jobs have been lost since COVID-19 restrictions start getting into place. If I'm a, if I'm just a savvy governor or mayor, I say, I need that tax revenue. I need people on the subways mm-hmm. and trains again. How do I do it? I roll up my sleeves, I walk around, I talk to people, I have health inspectors with me, and I say, okay, plexiglass here, let's rope off a table here, let's separate the booths here, and then how do I work with the restaurant associations to police each other? Instead, we're in an adversarial relationship right now, Carol. We're not working together on this. 
Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I think a lot of the, almost every restaurant that I know of um, has done this, has already put in the plexiglass and maybe up, updated their filtration system. And they all keep uh, a list of everybody who goes to their restaurant for contact tracing and et cetera, et cetera. And they just keep building and rebuilding their outdoor areas to the new specifications that keep getting added all the time. Uh, so restaurants have already done a lot of this work and it doesn't matter. They're closed down anyway. And the thing that I also really want to note is that New York City is the only area of the state to have our restaurants closed down. Now, if it was so dangerous to go to restaurants, to dine indoors, why would it be less dangerous in places like Albany or Schenectady or wherever else and Long Island, um, but not in New York City? So it's, it's really, it makes no scientific sense. And I think people have reached the breaking point with following directions that don't make sense. If, if, if the rules made sense, people would follow them, but they don't, so they don't. So listen, first we shut down. They said, you know, uh, bend the curve. We did. And then they started saying, well, outdoor dining only in the summer. So they built these contraptions on the sidewalk. Some look better than the next. Mm -hmm. It depends on your budget or who who you can hire. So you can go and use the bathrooms on the inside, but you stay on the outside in these little submarines. Then I'm watching, Uh two weeks ago, uh, I'm watching people made, they have these blow-up igloos. So literally, you right. go. You have to zip in and out to deliver food or order food. So I said, that's how desperate people are because, number one, maybe you can't cook. Maybe you don't have a kitchen in your yeah. place. Or number three, you just want some social interaction. So yeah, we did all the that. Industry. I, you know, I had dinner in 35-degree weather outdoors last week in New York City because I wanted to support. I wanted to, I wanted to give the restaurants business, and um, it was freezing, and I don't see myself doing it again no matter how much I want to because it just – doesn't really work in a city where we have a real winter. And the other th- problem is, is the 10 o'clock curfew because they don't want people hanging out. So they say, well, make them go home like we're 12 years old. So right. they have to start boxing things up at 930 to close the doors. Yeah. Now, what I also exactly. do on Long Island is I ask people, do people enforce this? Every single bar, restaurant I've talked to, they all say inspectors are walking in minimum three times a week. Yep. Yep. Um, one restaurant owner I spoke to got a ticket for having people at a table still at 10.05 p.m. When they had already paid the check, the table was cleared. They just hadn't left yet. And, you know, what a restaurant supposed to do? Be like, get out of here, get up and go? Um, yeah, it's a real tough situation. And also about the 10 o'clock curfew, as I mentioned in the piece, that it precludes restaurants from having an 8.30 seating, which restaurant owners told me is their most popular seating. You can't have an 8.30 seating if you know, people generally dine for two hours, so they can't go on until 1030. So they generally can't take the 830 reservation. So they found out that to use the term lockdown, shutdown is politically radioactive, but they're actually doing it. They're just not using those words. Can you describe, mm-hmm. Carol, for people that don't know what the mood was like in the spring slash summer and what is it like now as we watched what happened in Staten Island with the bar owner being arrested yeah. and we watched what happened on uh, when they closed at 2 o'clock last Tuesday and then they were told with very little notice there'll be no more indoor dining. Could you describe the right. difference? So I, I am seeing some difference, but I, I still think that nowhere near enough people are, are mad about this. I call them the pajama class, the people who stay home on their laptops and get paid no matter what happens. And they just don't realize the pain of their neighbors and the fact that there's so many people around them who can't go on to work, who are suffering. And, you know, it, it's really unfortunate that people are just not paying any attention to the people around them. Um, but I, I do see some difference. I see some pushback from business owners. 
I see people having had enough. You know, you mentioned all the restaurants that have closed. I predict we're going to have more closures in the next month. I think it's going to be an avalanche of closures because people are hanging on right now. They're hanging on by a thread. They're waiting to see what happens. They're hoping that, you know, the governors of their states reopen indoor dining for them. But when they don't, it's going to be a collapse of the industry. So we watched a mayor admit that he looks for a redistribution of wealth. Mm-hmm. We have this new member of the the squad, uh, Congressman-elect Bowman, who says capitalism yes. is a form of slavery. And we watch a governor with a chip on his shoulder like I've never seen in my life before. He doesn't know how inadequate <laughs> and pompous he is. First yes. off, in New York, how the heck would—why would you—if you're a free market capitalist— why would you choose to stay here when they up your taxes and, and have such little regard uh, for your money? Yeah. Well, I'm a lifelong New Yorker, and I, my husband's a lifelong New Yorker. We never thought about leaving before ever. We were going to grow old here. We were going to retire to Manhattan. Um, and now we don't know anymore. We feel like everything is upside down. And, you know, for a long time we could ignore the leftism, right? We could just say – Okay, yes, our mayor is a communist, but at least we have Broadway. At least we have restaurants. At least we have nightlife. At least we have all this cultural stuff. Um, At least we have schools for our kids. And now we don't have any of that. And it's hard to ignore that so few cared that none that all of this got taken away it's i I know new york will come back i know broadway will come back i know someday my kids will go back to school full-time i hope um but i i I, it's going to be hard to forget how the new yorkers that i know just decided that this is fine that this is okay that half the city was going to suffer like this um and they were going to just continue on with their lives it's it's very hard to overlook. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm enraged on a daily basis. Here's Governor Cuomo. Talk, talk about unaware. Cut 10. There's going to be a time when people turn around and say, why did 57 people die? And why did we have more people die than anywhere else? You don't want to have to answer that question. And the answer can't be because we played politics. So, healthy holiday, and I'm going to have a great one. Santa's going to be very good to me. I can tell. I worked hard this year. Carol Markowitz, your final thought? Galling, just really galling. Here's the guy who sent uh, COVID-positive patients back into nursing homes and caused these deaths. We had the highest death rate in the country, and that's not an accident, and it's not his good leadership, and he should really face that. Carol, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Keep fighting. Thank you. All right, when we come back, I'll go out do a simulcast with Stuart Varney and then squeeze in some calls at the end. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back. We're going to be on Fox News Channel uh, shortly. Uh, uh, excuse me, Fox Business Network shortly. But uh, we were just on uh, Fox News Channel about a half hour ago. Our cameras don't seem to be adjusting, unless the torso is my goal. I'm not really sure what goes, okay? Uh, we're on Fox Nation all the time, so we're going to share audiences on Fox Nation, our radio show, and then I'll be able to get some calls in. But Stuart Varney does want to talk about uh, the... Uh, our, our clownish governor who thinks he's the best governor ever, has no idea, uh, has no idea how ineffective he's been and how pompous he uh, continues to be. And then we're going to talk about another 
official. So let's listen in together. It is now exactly 10.51. You know what that means? Brian Kilmeade time. He joins us right now. Brian, I want to start with Governor Cuomo saying he's on the nice list. I know you've seen it, but watch it again. Roll it. Healthy holiday, and I'm going to have a great one. Santa's going to be very good to me. I can tell. I worked hard this year. I know you've been building up all morning to respond to that, so have at it, Kilmeade. Well, he, he's a, a couple of things. He takes no responsibility for nothing. When the riots are happening in New York City, well, I don't really run the city. When schools get shut down, it wasn't really my call. I would have probably left them open. Uh, when it comes to the nursing homes, yeah, that was, the, that was a mandate by Seema Verma uh, in the White House. Oh, we didn't have PPE? Where was President Trump? And now he's blaming the federal government for not stopping the U.K. residents from coming here with this different strain when there's already severe restrictions on U.K. residents coming in. And then he turns around and says, even though he's brought the business community to its knees, writes a book on how to do a pandemic, does a book tour in the middle of a second wave, does a fundraiser with celebrities while people are flat on their back and eating outdoors in 20-degree weathers in restaurants for restaurants in order to keep them in business. This guy says that Santa's going to treat him great. I wonder if what is worse, him really believing that or he's just putting us on in saying that. It's a public front. He's almost got to say it because he's made such a mess of it. He's got to try to come out with something positive. So he goes to Santa Claus. I mean, it doesn't make any sense to me. But, I mean, you're really upset about this, aren't you? Because Stuart, I, look, let, let's you're a New Yorker and you see this state going down the tubes. Yeah, I mean, New Yorkers want to work their way through it. They're not allowed to. I sit in a restaurant in New York in Long Island. I'm lucky enough to do that. At 9.30, they hand you styrofoam boxes and go, you're done. I talk to the managers like you do to have an idea of what's going on in the business community. They lose their last seating. They have no bar crowd. They put the money in for the plexiglass. They have, they're wearing masks everywhere. They've redone their kitchens. They just want an opportunity to work at 11, 11.30, 12 o'clock at night, or if someone works late till 6, they hop on a train, they go home, they got 45 minutes to eat, they stay home, they don't give the business, no one gets the tips. That's how you take a yeah. bow and say Santa's going to treat you great. That, to me, is terrible. I know there's no perfect way. Sweden thought they had the way they were wrong. Germany thought they had it down. They were flat-out wrong. The Netherlands, Israel, they were wrong. The only people that were wrong and deserve to pay a price is China. Everybody else, at least give us an opportunity to work our way through it. Stuart, we're lucky. Right. We get to go to right. work. We get right. to go to work. We do. We do. We do. Now, uh, I've got this for you. I want your comment. A North Carolina official told her constituents, stay home for the holidays. Meanwhile, she's doing the exact opposite. Brian, this keeps on happening. Yeah, no th wonder there's defiance. And that this defiance, this revolt is growing, you know. So this Dina Diorio, she says, yep, everyone right. stay home. She comes out and says that, and they say, wait a second, what are you doing for the holidays? Well, I'm driving to Durham. And who are you going with? Well, my family, but I know where they've been. She says, I'm making a personal decision based on information that I have. That's the decision I've made, and I think everybody needs to do the same. Excuse me. Did you just tell everybody to stay home? Yeah. yeah. Now you're saying it's up to your personal volition and decision? You know, I give Secretary Azo was on your favorite, second favorite show after Varney and Company, Fox and Friends. And he was on this morning. And we asked him, if you get the vaccine, do you have to wear a mask? You know what he said? I don't know yet. Thank you. Thank you. You're being honest. You don't know. Anthony Fauci, please take a lesson and a page from that. We haven't studied it yet. 
Wear it until we know, but we don't know yet. We just got the vaccine. When you do things like that, you make us part of the process instead of us against them. It's very easy leadership. That's all. When I look across the spectrum here, I look at what people are actually doing, whether it's Florida, New York, upstate California, who cares? People are actually out and about. They are. And that's a form of almost mass defiance. And I'm astonished at it. And I think it gets a lot either better or worse, depending on your point of view. But it's here to stay, especially at Christmas and New Year's. Last word to you. Give me Florida and Texas's attitude. They know the danger of the virus. They know what they have to do. But I at least have an opportunity to keep my business going at 40 percent. So when the vaccine is here in March, April and May, we start seeing people more confident. At least I go from 20 and I get up to 90 instead of minus 60. I'm paying being in the red on rent and having to go find employees to work in a fraction of it does. And I think in New York City, most of these restaurants and most of these businesses are not coming back. At least Texas and California, excuse me, Texas and Florida can say, uh, we kept you going, now take it the rest of the way. You got it. Hey, Brian, Merry Christmas to you. See you again real soon, I hope. Same to you. Best of luck, Stuart. See you soon in the halls. All right. Good. Okay. Coming up. Hey, Jim, listening in Scottsdale. Hey, Jim. Hey, Brian, love all your shows. Thank uh, you. You're on, you're on a lot of them. Hey, uh, you, one thing I just wanted to say is uh, we're, the, we're the bosses. We write the check. We pay the taxes. And we have these people uh, spending our money as, as drunken sailors, all the lists you went through earlier today. We, we've got to stand up and say, enough. We're not going to pay our taxes anymore if this is what's going to happen. And it, it, it just galls me to, to pay, you know, here we are year end, I've gone through, I, I'm going to have to write some checks. I'd rather write those checks directly to these business owners who've been suffering and give them the relief rather than have a middleman who takes most of that money and then we have to beg to get it back. So, Federal taxes is the only, we have no choice, but state taxes, you have a huge choice. So do it. Number two is, you know what they hit us with? As soon as you say, well, the taxes are too high, go, really, you don't care about firefighters and first responders? You don't care about the police officers? I know in Democratic states when they're anti-cop and defund the police, having trouble saying that now, but they try to use that. You don't want to fund the teachers that are teaching your kids, but that's not the truth. It's to fund programs we really have no say in, and many times it's lobbyists who pay for influence with politicians that we elect. Uh, thanks so much for listening. You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach, it's Brian Kilmeade. All right, from New York, heard around the country, around the world, Brian Kilmeade Show. Just watched Anthony Fauci get a shot, the Moderna shot, as well as the Secretary of Health and Human Services. A remarkable story. Help is on the way. If you factor in all those people that had it and beat the virus and the antibodies that we have uh, and the people that are naturally immune, I think we're going to see these numbers going down. And just a remarkable uh, a remarkable series of events, the planning that General Perna did with the pharmaceutical expertise that uh, Azar has, with the president pushing and prodding like a good coach to get the most out of all their people, uh, we're off to a really good start. I mean, you switch other channels that focused on, wow, why did Massachusetts get less vials? Then you have a general say, my fault, I overpredicted right before the election, but we're going to fix that. 
And now we have two vaccines ready to go. The rest of the world, they got vaccines. Nobody wants to take them because they don't work. Uh, before we get to uh, Governor Pataki, the last Republican governor in New York, in Karl Rove, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. You can see uh, as it relates to the stay-at-home that we are likely, I think it's pretty self-evident, uh, going to need to extend those original dates. Really? Self-evident? Lockdown lunacy. Are Democratic governors intentionally destroying business in the free market? Clearly, Americans are reaching the breaking point with lawsuits and protests from coast to coast. Number two. What President Trump and the Trump legal team are willing to do and what we're continuing to do is to fight by every legal and constitutionally appropriate method to make sure that we preserve and protect election integrity. There you go. Uh, Jenna Ellis with the president's legal team. The president has at least one legal and electoral fight in him as his beleaguered team tries to take one Pennsylvania, take on Pennsylvania and make the Supreme Court take up this challenge. Fifteen lawmakers, by the way, gathered in the Oval Office yesterday to plan a January 6th uprising. Is that the right move? Number one. It's not too little too late. It's directly targeted at exactly what the country needs right now. If after the new administration comes in, they want to advocate more, we'll take a look at it based upon conditions in the country at that time. The China virus vaccine floods the country, two of them, and even Joe Biden offers words of praise for some cash is on the way as Congress unleashes $900 billion to help many survive, including $600, maybe a little bit more for a couple if you make under $75,000 and a little bit less if you don't. And they have $300 supplemental unemployment insurance, $300, 300 week additional federal unemployment, I should add, more than $300 billion in subsidies for small business, the PPP stuff, $25 billion in emergency rental assistance, so that still help. That was not in the last one. $10 billion to bail out the Postal Service. Uh, funding for the state and local governments, not in it. Liability protections for business and other ent- entities, not there. It got so full of pork that people like Rick Scott, Rand Paul, Mike Lee, Marsha Blackburn, Ted Cruz, Senator Ron Johnson did not vote for it, and that is significant. Uh, The other thing is it's pretty clear they did not get the Restaurant Act in this. The PPP will help, but as John Taffer, uh, America's favorite bar rescue star, told Fox Business yesterday, he said this is too late to provide necessary support to the industry. Why this hasn't happened before the election is ridiculous. The package was larger before the election than it is now. It falls way short. This guy's got into politics, too. On the vaccine, 6 million Moderna is going to be up this week. 2 million Pfizer this week, as long as what happened last week. By the first week in January, 20 million. By uh, by um, June, they expect 200 million just for Moderna alone. The problem is a lot of people don't want to take it. And I think people have to rethink it. Keep in mind, when you're a kid or you're a parent, your kid took polio, took whooping cough, took mumps, took measles. Now you're lying in the sand. Is this cutting-edge uh, vaccine uh, by Pfizer, the one of the world's finest biotech companies, and Moderna put together not by government but by our medical professionals? However, it seems like politicians have one move, and that is shutdown. Listen to Boris Johnson of the U.K. This, by the way, after Germany, the Netherlands, Sweden, Norway, France basically did the same thing. Cut eight. It is with a very heavy heart. I must tell you, we cannot continue with Christmas as planned. In England, those living in tier four areas should not mix with anyone outside their own household 
at Christmas. I know how disappointing this will be. But we have said throughout this pandemic that we must and we will be guided by the science. Yeah, by the science. What science? I, I, we have to find a way to live through this. Vaccines are here. You beat us by a week with our own vaccine. Be patient. Let people live. If they feel insecure, if they have underlying conditions, let them make the decision. Doc Mark, Dr. Mark Siegel brought that up. He wrote a book about it. More people fear the virus than get the virus and alter their life because of the virus. Cut 11. The U.K. and London are in a state of panic tonight. If you look at the streets of London, if they're empty... And they're empty in advance of a tier four lockdown, which is just as severe as it sounds. You got to stay at home. You can't go anywhere. You can't travel. But in advance of that, you know what happened? The train stations were loaded over the weekend as people escaped, knowing this was happening, cluttering together in panic, probably spreading COVID-19. And that's the whole story of the pandemic. Panic and fear overrunning science. And that is the case, uh, 1-866-408-7669. 99.4% of people are going to survive it, right? If you use the therapeutic, uh, the Regeneron, or what Eli Lilly has is like a Regeneron, the, um, the antibodies, you 70% chance you're not even going to go to the hospital. And if you're young and healthy, if you're a student, and if you don't have any underlying conditions, you're going to be okay. I mean, countless college students get it. They beat it. They want to go back to school. A lot, of, a lot of teachers are worried about it, so they don't let them. So they're going to say that we overreacted to this, I'm sure. You might disagree, one 408 7669 Now, the President of the United States has got about 15 lawmakers who went into his office, maybe a couple of senators, that on January 8th when they, or 6th, when they go to certify this Electoral College win for Joe Biden, they're going to stand up and they're going to step up. Reportedly now, he's going to be mad at the vice president because Vice President Pence has to gavel in and gavel out the Electoral College win. He has no choice, but the president evidently is furious. He considers insubordination. Here's here's Jenna Ellis, cut 16. Election integrity and upholding our Constitution and our rule of law is always worth the time and the effort. And so uh, that's what Mark Meadows tweeted today. Stay tuned. And I think what we've seen is a failure of the judicial branch uh, to weigh in on election integrity. That was an absolute failure there. Um, There's been a failure of the state legislatures to do their constitutionally mandated obligation. And so what President Trump and the Trump legal team are willing to do and what we're continuing to do is to fight by every legal and constitutionally appropriate method to make sure that we preserve and protect election integrity. Well, we'll see. After January 6th, it's hard to imagine. They're already talking about having an alternate inauguration. I think it's better for the president to say, regardless of the irregularities, he's bringing it up to the Pennsylvania. He's bringing up the Pennsylvania situation. uh, He wants the U.S. Supreme Court to throw out 110,000 mail-in ballots, saying they're unconstitutional and don't adhere to the state constitution. So uh, they want to throw that out. They will have three other areas in which they want to approach. He lost Pennsylvania by about 80,000. He's had almost no success, including a Wisconsin judge that was appointed, and he ruled against the president of the United States. So he's extremely frustrated. And when he called into, when he called into Turning Point's big convention, I know Pete Hegseth speaking there, Dan Bongino spoke there, the president of the United States uh, said this, cut 15. We won this in a landslide. They know it. And we need backing from, like, the Justice Department and other people have to finally step up. We'll see. I don't know what people are supposed to do if they, don't, if they can't win in court. You can't have people leave the country. 
So for the President of the United States, I would say focus on January 5th winning in Georgia. Then you focus on, take a little bit of time off, then focus on getting the House back, targeting those seats, redistricting in a way that the House becomes into Republican hands. You find a way, even though it's going to be harder than ever to keep the Senate, in two years it's going to be harder than it is now, according to reports, if you look at the experts, but it's not impossible. And then you set up, Mr. President, you get eight years, just not in a row. Like only one other person, and that's Grover Cleveland. They compare your upset equal to only one other person, and that's Harry Truman. So make history again. I just don't think this is the way to do it. one 408 If we track down Call Rove, we'll do it. If not, I got your calls. one 408 Don't move. Challenging conventional thought and wisdom. You're with Brian Kilmeade. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. If the Democrats take Georgia, if they win both those Senate races, we go right back to where we were in 2009 and 2010 when the Democrats had control of the House, the Senate, and the White House. We haven't been in that position since the first two years of the Obama presidency. And that's when Obamacare got passed, tax hikes got passed, massive spending got shoved through. Uh, and America saw a president go on an apology tour, and the people who were in charge of Congress were fine with it. Yeah, and they had 60 votes. Remember, Scott Brown then won the Ted Kennedy scene in the beginning of the comeback of the Republicans, and this would just be 51, excuse me, it would be 50-50 with Kamala Harris uh, breaking the tie. But then you talk about just getting rid of the filibuster, it becomes a simple majority. Karl Rove knows that. That's why he got involved uh, as uh, in this race, and he is uh, the former deputy chief of staff for George W. Bush, as you know, and he is uh, in charge of building the finances necessary to win both those races. Carl, welcome back. Uh, thank you. I, I, it's not that big. I'm just responsible for raising money for the Georgia Battleground Fund. We're not the only people pumping money into this. The candidates themselves are raising money and they're outside super PACs. But this is the senatorial committee and the two candidates together in a joint fundraising committee. And <clears throat> so don't put it all on my shoulders. You're about ready to make me collapse and, uh, you know, <laughs> in uh, exhaustion. I got, I got phone calls to make, man, phone calls. Well, let me ask you, are you involved in the messaging at all? Well, they're kind enough to ask my, ask my reaction to things. So yeah, a little bit. Um, and I'm also, uh, you know, they're, they're, uh, I'm, I'm very interested in, in, in keeping on top of the ground game, which I think is going to ultimately be the thing that wins it for the Republicans. And are, I know Republicans chose to do that with the November 3rd races, and that maybe had a lot to do with the success they had. Uh, are Democrats getting involved knocking on doors this time? Yeah, absolutely. But the, 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 the issue is the Republicans began the week of November 6th uh, doing door-to-door, and uh, it takes a while to get these things up to scale. And the Democrats began doing it about two weeks ago. They, they sort of sat on their hands and finally realized they were losing out on uh, and, you know, it's done right. People are masked up. They knock on the door. They take six steps back. They, they ask people to, to identify themselves. They're generally wearing identification that they're part of the Republican get-out-the-vote effort. And uh, if possible, they text message the people that they're going to be knocking on the doors of to let them know that they're going to be in the neighborhood. So all of it's done right, but it's it's having a powerful effect. The 
we've already expanded the number of people that we're targeting because we're now the, the number of volunteers that are at this is so large that we 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 busted through our target and uh, added additional households on uh, nearly half a million additional households into the universe because we were doing so well on the on the effort. So, so you got 1.4 as of yesterday voted already, and I'm wondering, do you are you targeting? Is the total you expect 4.5 or more? Uh, we're we're counting on more. Uh, uh, you know, four point. Uh, Four point five is sort of on the low range. You you, you don't want to you, you want to have surplus capacity in your get out the vote universe. You want to be able to say, uh, you know, we we got more people than uh, coming out than we think are necessary to win at a very high number. Better that than you know end up having turnout be larger than you anticipated and, and not having enough people in your universe. No, I understand. So here's what Reince Priebus said: Republicans are reluctant. And maybe a little bit in, in some way because of the problems they have and the distrust they have with the vote. Cut 20. Voters in Georgia, especially the Republicans, obviously, have to be convinced that the Republicans are taking ballot security seriously uh, because there's a lot of people there that are still extraordinarily frustrated, and they should be, over how that election was run. So they have a signature match in place right now. They have about 7,800 poll watchers ready to go. So... Are people are people expressing that distrust to you, and are you saying similar th- similar things? Uh, I'm hearing it. Uh, donors are concerned. Uh, supporters, voters are concerned. They want to make certain that the that the voting is is going to be fair and transparent. And I thought the president had a good message in Valdosta. Turnout number is big enough that they can't do anything to take the victory away. But yes, we have a large number of we have three law firms. Uh, Wiley Ryan, Jones Day, and um, uh, McGuire Woods, and uh, with top lawyers who have expertise in the area of ballot integrity and ballot security, we we, we took we we looked at how Georgia votes uh, in both mail-in voting, early voting, which began last Monday, and election day, and, and voter registration, and uh, looked at each component of that and reverse engineered it and said, what are the weaknesses and where do we need to either engage in negotiations with the state board of elections or file lawsuits or ask for clarification of rules and guidance. And where do we need to have lawyers? Let me give you one example. There are a number of people in Fulton County precincts. That's the metropolitan Atlanta. It's downtown Atlanta who voted twice. They voted a mail-in ballot and then they voted on election day under the procedures in place. There should be zero who do that because if you've requested a mail-in ballot, it's noted on the rolls when you show up. The, so when you show up at the precinct and you say you want to vote, they say, OK, you uh, requested a mail-in ballot. Do you want to surrender your mail-in ballot? Oh, you don't have your mail-in ballot? Fine. You can still go ahead and vote, but your vote will be a provisional ballot segregated and from everybody else kept in a separate uh, device. And we will then check and make certain that you didn't vote by mail and vote. On Election Day. Well, that fell apart in a number of precincts in Fulton County. And as a result, over a thousand people voted twice. Well, we're going to have people trained. We've, we've got the largest number of poll watchers that the state has ever seen by a magnitude of several times over. And, and the people in those precincts will be specifically trained so that they know that this precinct had a history of doing that. And if the presiding judge does not have the right procedures in place and allows people to do that, there will be a lawyer readily available to them who will be able to have on their tablet or on their phone the necessary filings that they can send to a judge immediately. 
so that we will know, you know, the judge will immediately give us relief on it. But we're targeting that we know what those precincts, where those precincts are, and we're targeting. That's just one of hundreds of examples of what we're doing uh, through the ballot integrity effort to make certain that this election is fair. And uh, the other big story is the president of the United States is not giving up on his uh, reelection hopes. He is now asking the Supreme Court to take the Pennsylvania case and throw out 110,000 mail-in ballots. And also yesterday, 15 lawmakers showed up in the Oval Office to say they're willing to fight for the president on January 6th when they look to certify the Electoral College. Uh, where do you stand on this, Carl? Well, I, 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 I think the, the filing uh, uh, to the Supreme Court is late. Uh, the court is going to be uh, loath to throw out 110,000 ballots after the state has certified it, and this case has been heard once already. Uh, the question is, do they have new evidence? Uh, and thus far, the president's lawyers have ill-served him. I mean, it's like Nevada. We have thousands of people, uh, dead people, voted. Well, they came up with three examples. Uh, two of which were actually dead people who voted, and one of which was the daughter of a dead person accidentally took her father's ballot and mailed it in. But she was able to produce her ballot, which she did not mail in, having recognized that she'd made a mistake by using her father's ballot. So the, 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 I think this is a day late and a dime short, and um, I, I think it's unlikely to work. And the big show is actually uh, January 5th. Uh, Carl, thanks so much. This is three times you're talking to me in 12 hours. Even my family doesn't talk to me that much. I feel well, bad actually, for it's, you. It's 24 hours in. It's taxing my ability, I must admit. We started yesterday with Fox and Friends. You were subbing for Martha last night. I was looking so forward to sitting, wishing her happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Back in a moment. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. There's going to be a time when people turn around and say, why did 57 people die? And why did we have more people die than anywhere else? You don't want to have to answer that question. And the answer can't be because we played politics. So, healthy holiday, and I'm going to have a great one. Santa's going to be very good to me, I can tell. I worked hard this year. Unbelievable how unaware he is about how he's viewed by uh, by the masses. You know, outside Robert De Niro and Ben Stiller. I cannot believe how detached he is from reality. Governor Cuomo of New York. Welcome back, everyone. It's Brian Kilmeade joining us now. Another name that's no stranger to New Yorkers. We're heard around the country, but located in New York. Uh, Governor George Pataki, the last Republican governor of the state. Hopefully not ever. Governor, welcome back. Uh, Thank you, Brian. Great being on with you. You know Governor Cuomo. Is this the real him or is this just a guy whose ego is caught up with him, that he feels the best-selling author, Emmy Award winner, is just walks on water? You know, I just, uh, Brian, it's uh, hard for me to fathom. It just doesn't make any sense. Uh, New York City and New York State are really hurting. They're hurting more than I've ever seen in my lifetime. And I was governor on September 11th. And to talk about having had a great year and being so good, you know, you hit it on the head. Uh, during the height of the crisis, he goes out and writes a book claiming victory and then gets an Emmy for his TV performances, while tens of thousands of people who used to work in restaurants or in shops in New York City are hurting. It's just tone deaf, uh, and it makes no sense to me at all. I, I just guess he's hanging out with people that agree with him. But the other thing, an example, is Thanksgiving. 
on Thanksgiving, he's telling us do not get together, do not do anything, then is asked by a radio host, uh, what are you doing? I'm going to go see my mom. And then he gets embarrassed by the backlash and says, I've decided not to see my mom. I'm going to work through the holiday. But this is not just him. So many politicians, Governor, are doing the same thing. We got this councilman in North Carolina, tells everyone to stay home. And then when asked, what are you doing? I'm going to dorm to see my family. I know where they've been, so I'll, I'm, I'm comfortable with that. What are you talking you know, about? Uh, Brian, it's really sad, but uh, the autocratic left has imposed a, a two-class system on America. Uh, the privilege and the power powerful tell us what we can't do and then ignore those rules. Uh, and it's just outrageous and it has to stop. Uh, you know, giving governors and others extraordinary powers in a pandemic uh, has to end and we have to give power back to the people. Uh, it's not just uh, the hypocrisy like Governor Newsom going to the French laundry in Napa when he shut down everything in California and Governor Cuomo talking about hosting his family for Thanksgiving when the rest of us can't. It, it's everyday things where we're told we can't do this, we can't do that. And, you know, to me, you look at uh, AOC getting a vaccine. Uh, what is she, mid-30s, perfectly yeah. healthy? Yep. You know, 80-year-old people in nursing homes haven't gotten the vaccine, but because the privileged in Congress, like AOC, jumped the line, uh, uh, they get it first. And it's a, it's a two-class society, the privileged and the rest of us. And believe me, the rest of us have had enough, and it's time for the privileged to step aside. So, Governor, you got to make tough decisions. I get it. Sometimes, you know, 50% of the people are going to be happy and 50% of the people are going to be unhappy. But there's also lazy. And what I think you do as a leader, uh, as mayor especially, walk the streets, talk to people and say, you know, these are the – and with health inspectors, hey, guys, you want to open up Bill's diner? Okay. This is my health inspector. Meet him. Well, guys, you're going to have to rope off one Every other booth. Okay, fine. Can you get plexiglass in here? Can we do it? People are going to sit at the bar. We're going to be able to keep two together, but for the most part, there's going to be separation. When it comes to hosts, this is what they got to do. So then you work with them, and then you get the restaurant associations to almost be the watchdogs, where they watch each other, because it's not your idea to have a pandemic. It's not your fault. We have to learn to live with it, not hide from it. This isn't February. This is the following December. Brian, you should run for governor. That's exactly what uh, an effective leader would be doing. Instead of uh, issuing these autocratic decrees, you can't do this, you can't do that, we're going to catch you and fine you for doing this, they should be out there working cooperatively, showing people how you can do it. You know, they put down the order. You have to have only 25 percent inside. You have to have plexiglass dividers, change your kitchen. Everybody has to wear a mask. They spend a lot of money, the small restaurants, doing that. And then a month later, oh, never mind, we're shutting you down anyway, even though the science doesn't support it. Instead of acting cooperatively to help those who are suffering, we just have an out-of-touch autocratic government dictating rules that might be X one day and not X the next day. It just doesn't make sense. In it's Michigan, terrible. the amount of transmission through restaurants is 2 percent. You know, in New York, it's under 2 percent. It's 1.04. It's and yeah, it's, in under, the, it's under 2%, and the, the highest is is private gatherings. So instead of having people out in a well-protected, well-governed restaurant, 
where you know they're going to be safe. Uh, they're off at some uh, family friend's place where you don't have the social distancing, the plexiglass, and the separation, and the infections increase. It's not based on science. It's based on power. It's power that has been misused and that should be taken back. Absolutely. And um, the last thing, I want you to hear the CEO of Waffle House. If you have 8 bucks, you can get yourself a breakfast. You know what you do? You tip 2 bucks. You know what those people are making per hour? Maybe 6 bucks. They will have to make ends meet every day dollar counts. And I used to uh, work in restaurants. We all know uh, uh, the bus tables, clean tables. I also was a waiter for a while. When you were in a Waffle House, it's turnover. And now they shut them all down. Here's what the CEO said, cut 14. I don't think it makes sense at all. What the data now is starting to show us is that shutting down restaurant dining rooms virtually has no impact on reducing the spread. And what it does have is a certain devastating impact on the millions of people in this industry that look to restaurants to provide their livelihood for their families, to put roofs over their head, and at this time of the year to buy Christmas presents for their kids. And so it's having a devastating impact on the people, and yet there's no data to indicate that it's actually helping to reduce the spread. And if you take their business license, they're really hamstrung. Um, and this is not the city you used to have. Governor, you always were for the person. I never thought of you as, like, when you're a mayor, you don't really think Democrat or Republican, even governors, because you're so much, it, it's so much nitty-gritty. You're not talking grandiose concept. It's more of a philosophy. I want you to hear with this mayor, the worst mayor in my life in any city, and worse yet, he's lazy. Listen to what he said about Fox accusing him of redistributing wealth. Here's the quote from uh, Fox News summarizing. They said, NYC Mayor sees the redistribution of wealth as an important factor towards ending structural racism in education. Exactly right. I don't get to say it very often, but Fox News got it exactly right. Amen. We are going to fight structural racism through redistribution. So Fox News, congratulations. Fair and balanced coverage right there. And wealth. Add to that. What is your reaction to this? You know, Brian, you have to have some wealth to redistribute. And and the way New York is going, there isn't going to be any left. Uh, You hear every day about people leaving for Florida or Texas or Tennessee. You hear major businesses like Goldman Sachs and J.P. Morgan talking about moving divisions out. That's the result. It's not redistributing wealth. It's removing wealth. And everybody is worse off because of that. So I, I think that's a failed philosophy that has never worked anywhere. It's in the process of really destroying New York City to the point where it's going to be very hard and take a long time for it to come back. But it will come back because it's still New York. It's still part of America. And when we have the right leadership, uh, the people will bring it back, not the politicians. You beat Mario Cuomo, right? Yes, I did. What was the percentage? I won by 4%. And then you won re-election. Yes, I got re-elected twice after that. So what would it take for Republicans to come back in a blue state like this? Well, I think first you have to have failed leadership uh, on the part of, of, of the Democrats. Check. And I, think we're, and I think we're seeing that. Then you have a candidate who can appeal beyond, beyond a partisan base. You have to be able to, to appeal to people whether or not they are a part of your party. And, uh, uh, and that is what I've always tried to do. You know, the Democrats, it seems, don't have to. They can just appeal to their narrow partisan base and be ideologues and in the process hurt their, the state very or the city very much. 
a Republican to win has to appeal to a great many Democrats. I had to get almost a million and a half Democrats to come out and vote for me. And to do that, you have to have solutions as opposed to ideological rhetoric. And we did have solutions. Right now, all we're hearing is lecturing and, and, and orders that tell people what they can't do. That's not how you govern right. And it's also not how you could win an election in New York in the future, I hope. So what has happened to the Republican Party in terms of numbers? Uh, politicians like yourself, Rudy Giuliani, a Republican, and then you look at what's happening. You know, Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, was governor of California after a recall. Uh, governor Pete Wilson was thought to be a presidential candidate back in the 90s, Governor. There was Ronald Reagan out there. What's changed so much on the coasts? Well, well, I'm still an optimist. I think it's it's changing back, Brian. Uh, we had a great victory uh, for Congress uh, in New York City uh, in November. Nicole Miliotakis beat an incumbent overwhelmingly. She's a great candidate. Yep. We have Lee Zeldin, a congressman out on uh, the east end of Long Island, who's doing tremendously well. We're ahead in another congressional district upstate, defeating a, an incumbent Democrat that that's still subject to a recount. The only district in the country that hasn't been resolved yet. But there are good young candidates out there who are able to appeal across party lines with solutions. And that's what you have to do. And I'm hopeful that there will be a lot more of that in New York and the other blue states. But there's money and organization that goes along with that. You could have great candidates, but you don't have an overall vision and organization, a get out the vote campaign, an overall coherent message. How close are Republicans to getting that together, let's say for here? You know, I don't think we're ready yet, but we're working on it. Yeah, as you said, you have to have a grassroots organization. And we have a new uh, state leader, Nick Langworthy, and I think he's doing a tremendous job working to organize from the bottom up, which is what you have to do. And, and Brian, we have the right idea. Uh, and, and that ultimately is what wins or loses the elections. You know, you listen to de Blasio, who's destroying the educational system and driving businesses out of the state. You listen to the Albany Democrats talking about how they have to raise taxes on the rich. That's fine. They'll live in Florida. They'll live in Texas. They'll live someplace else. And there'll be nobody left to tax. So we have the right ideas. We're working on putting together the organization. We got the right people. I'm still very hopeful, Brian. Uh, the people in New York, uh, they may register Democrat, but they're open-minded and intelligent. And you make the right case, you can win. I know uh, you ran for president a few years ago. What are you thinking about next? You thinking about getting back into the fray? I'm thinking about helping people who agree with me uh, in the philosophy that I share. I think we really need uh, a more uh, more successful Republicans across the country, not just in in red parts of the country. And I think President Trump prove that you can do that. When in four years ago, he won in Michigan and in Pennsylvania and in Wisconsin. And it shows that the opportunity is out there. And I want to help my party because of the ideals of that party win elections in places where we haven't won in a while. Just promise me if you get back into office, you'll never have make people register online for tickets to look at a tree in New York City. <laughs> That's a promise I can make easily, Brian. <laughs> Governor Pataki, have a great Christmas. Thanks so much for your time and your insight. Thank you. Merry Christmas to you, Brian. Uh, absolutely. Well. And, of course, the WRCN listeners and WABC listeners in New York, he's no stranger. He did uh, run for president, too. Uh, and sincerely, he just came out of nowhere to win three times in New York. Maybe it can happen again in California. Maybe it can happen again uh, in New York. one 408 Now, we're going to come back. I see the lines are jammed. We have a room for you, so don't move. 
newsmakers, and newsbreakers. Hear it first, only on The Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. I saw your story. And I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go online and I'm going to buy all this guy's stuff. Oh, you did? Yeah. The one thing I didn't plan on was that you wouldn't let me. When I went on Nerdy Comic Books, I found something I wanted to buy. And it was this. Jay, is this your amazing Harley Quinn poster? Yes, sir. It is. Well, I was trying to buy it for $450. And you know what I was told? Canceled. (laughs) Jay doesn't trust you. Even thinking you were under cyber attack and you were being catfished by some creep, which you weren't far off. You were still so nice to me on eBay. You said, this feels fishy. Sorry, I just don't feel comfortable with the sales. Hope you understand and good luck in the future. Who are you, dude? Like the nicest get the hell out of here I've ever heard. So that is John Krasinski. From The Office. From The Office, yes. And he did a new um, Some Good News, right, his YouTube show. Um, And there's this dad, uh, Jay Abel, and he basically posted that he didn't have enough money to buy his kids gifts for Christmas. So he was selling. He loves comic books. and He's a comic book collector. He was selling everything. And John Krasinski saw this and was trying to buy his stuff. So, like, for way too much, right, like $450 for the poster that he was asking $8 for. And the dad was like, no, this seems too fishy. I'm not selling it to you. And he wouldn't sell it. Um, and I would definitely recommend everyone go watch the whole thing because it's all of it. It's just it's a really nice feel good thing. Um, but also uh, we have another one because then Krasinski surprised the dad with this. Jay, I know the big man in the suit. I actually know the guy that you tweeted to get this whole thing started. So drum roll, please. Ladies and gentlemen. Santa Claus! Oh my God! <laughs> hey, what's yeah. up, Rock? My man, Jay. What's going on? <laughs> How are you? How you doing? I saw your tweet, and your tweet really, really moved me. Here's why: of all the things you could have asked for, and of all the things that people do ask for, and that's okay. Nothing wrong with asking, man. The only thing you wanted was a retweet. I thought Joanna Claus could do better than a How great is that? So it, it was making fun of, it was having fun with the Rock's character? Yeah, so the Rock's, um, Krasinski surprised um, him with the Rock on the Zoom call, and then the Rock then bought his kids everything that they wanted on their Christmas list. And then also um, the Rock's in an upcoming movie um, that is comic-based, and I should know the name and I don't. Anyway, the script that he's using for the whole movie, he's going to have all of his notes on it. When he's done, he's going to get it bound and give it to the dad, as like, which is the ultimate collector's item. Wow, that's pretty great. That is awesome. Doesn't The Rock do like stuff like this all the time? It's great. You generally really love The Rock, so I know he's one of your favorite people. Right, he is. And we got along, but we've lost contact because he keeps switching managers. And I don't think these new managers, they think I'm a stalker. But uh, <laughs> he's one of these guys that watches our channel. I hope he still does. So when I saw him in person, he started talking to me like I knew him. Number one, we have the one thing is similar. Your builds. Exactly. And number two, the tattoos. Yes. Uh, with a lot of tattoos. And we all both came up through wrestling. 
uh, for a while. And it was hard, $25 a night going through, and then I finally got noticed by Fox Radio, and I was able to put, go off the road for the first time. That's true. To be fair, you did also write about him in one of your sports books. Yes, it's how you play the game. And he talks about how he went to the University of Miami, thought he was going to get drafted like all his buddies, uh, and he ended up like Ray Lewis. He ended up getting drafted by the Canadian Football League, and he was embarrassed, and he got more embarrassed when they cut him. But he ended up landing on his feet, I would say. I think he's doing okay. Right. I'm pulling for him to the rest of the way. So he's doing good for now. My fingers are crossed for The Rock. Uh, thanks so much for listening, one, listening, everyone. Keep it here on The Brian Kilmeade Show. BrianKilmeadeShow.com to listen anytime, anywhere. Put the power of over 100 meteorologists and the worldwide resources of Fox in your hands with the Fox Weather Podcast. Precise, personal, powerful. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.